this time if the children would come forward for junior church that's pre-k through sixth grade and if you would while they're coming down open up your bibles to hebrews chapter three hebrews three and just a couple of announcements to make um, about this coming week tonight uh, we have uh, prayer gathering at 6.30, so everybody's invited to come and join us for that. Uh, we have trunk or treat on Friday. We still need people to sign up for trunks. I think we've probably only got, say, eight or nine as of early this morning signed up, and I know that some other folks... Oh. Well, there you have it. So, no, don't clap. Just bring your trunks, you know. <laughs> Just bring your trunks and bring bring more candy, even though we have probably about 500 pounds of candy, I think, so far. Bring bring some more. We're going to hand it all out, I'm, I'm sure. We get a great turnout uh, every year for Trunk or Treat. Hundreds and hundreds of people show up in our neighborhood to come and bring their families. It's just a way for us to be a blessing to our neighborhood. And so Lisa's asking that you come uh, in between 615 and 6.30 on Friday night, if you have a trunk to begin setting up, just to make sure that we are fully prepared uh, when seven o'clock rolls around and the people start lining up. Often they are lined up by a hundred by the time that uh, the time starts. And so so please come early and, um, and be ready for that. Uh, I may have missed something, forgotten something. Hopefully you've got a bulletin. Uh, oh, Thanksgiving. Patty Anderson's got the sign up sheet out here. We're going to have Thanksgiving dinner. That is November the 20th. Uh, yeah, I got you, Dan. I forgot something else, too. I know. I get up here and I go blank a lot. Um, Thanksgiving dinner on November the 20th after the service. And so uh, if you're able to come to that, able to contribute, there's some things that we're needing, certain uh, items that Patty is wanting to see made for Thanksgiving, you know, mashed potatoes, turkey, stuff like that. If you would, come out here, check out the sheet, see if there are some things that you can bring in advance to make sure that we have all that we need for our Thanksgiving dinner. And we certainly want to ask you on that day to invite your family. Uh, maybe there's a way. Is there a way for them to sign up as far as numbers? So let us know how many people are coming, if you're bringing some extra people. But please, bring your family, bring your friends uh, to, to come and eat with us. It's not just for our church family, but we do want to have an idea of how many are going to show up just to make sure that we have enough food. Next Sunday, uh, we have our business meeting. Uh, that's October the 30th. And so it'll be after the service, uh, and so please make plans to stick around for that. Something that kind of connects to that a little bit as far as maybe a conflict of time for some of you all. Many of you know that Miss Gloria Crate uh, passed away just a couple of days ago. Her husband, Carl Crate, who was the pastor here for 20 years from 1977 to 1997, he died earlier, actually he died around Christmas last year. And so they've both passed within a year of one another. Her um, viewing is at Loomis Funeral Home next Saturday, the 29th, from 2 to 6. And then the service is next Sunday at 2 o'clock at the chapel. And so that might create a conflict for some of you all, but if you have to leave early from the business meeting next week, that is perfectly fine. So I think I touched on most everything. All right. Hopefully you have a bulletin. Uh, fill in some of those, fill in some of those gaps. But um, we're going to read today Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, continuing in our study in this, in this great book. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, 
just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoke to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning that we can hear your word. I pray, God, that we will not just hear your word with our physical ears, but with our hearts. Show us the way to consider Jesus this morning. Show us how considering him makes a difference in our lives. We want to be a people who remain faithful to our Savior. And we are grateful, Father, that he is so faithful to us. We pray it all in his name. Amen. How many of you all have read John Bunyan's classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress? How many of you all? There's a handful there in the back. We might have 10. I'm going to make a reference this morning in starting out about that book, but just in case any of you all are interested, as far as I know, you know, statements are like this have been made a lot. Well, this is the best-selling book other than the Bible. Well, as far as I know, uh, Pilgrim's Progress is the best-selling book other than the Bible in the English-speaking world all time, and there's a reason for it. It is so helpful to teach us about what the Christian's journey is like in this world. I've got three copies. They're over here sitting on the piano in very modern English to help you understand it. I've got the original version, and boy, it takes a dictionary to try to understand it. Many of you all who are, new, are King James people, you understand. You need a dictionary to understand that English too. Uh, but this is even more so. It's even more archaic than your, than your Bibles. And so this translation here has been updated. If you are interested and you know that you'll read it, please come up here and grab one of those after the service. If you would like one and these three are gone, just let me know. I'll get you one. It is an extraordinary book. Extraordinary. So in that book, the main character, Christian is his name, is warned that the place where he lives, it's called the City of Destruction, is going to be burned by fire from heaven. And his neighbors, when he starts to tell them this, they are not disturbed. He talks about it to his family. He wants them to get up and leave with him and get out of this city where judgment is going to fall. But they think he's crazy. They're not going to leave, they say. And so Christian knows that he has to pack up and leave because he cannot stay there. And a man named Evangelist tells him to travel to the narrow gate. It's a ways off there in the distance. And from there, he says, Christian, you will get more information about what you will need to do on your journey. And it seems that he's going to have to start out alone until this man, by the name of Pliable, and throughout the story, he's just very plain at what the names of these people are to try to give you an understanding of what they are like. Last night we were reading, there's a man named Talkative. Well, what's Talkative like? He sure likes to talk. Well, Pliable is being, we're being told something about this man as well. But he joins Christian on his journey. He decides that he's going to go with him. And he asked Christian about, you know, what's this journey like? Where are you going? And, and Christian goes on to tell him about all the wonders of going to the celestial city. 
And what is the celestial city? Well, it's, it's heaven. And there's, there's one who is faithful to him along the way that has made it possible for him to go there. And he starts to tell Pliable about all the wonders of being there. And Pliable says, yeah, I'm going to go with you. But not very far down the road, Christian and Pliable fall into this place called the Swamp of Discouragement. They get stuck in the water and in the mud, and Pliable turns to Christian and says to him, I thought this journey of yours was supposed to be pleasant. If this is what it's going to be like, I'm just going to go back home. And that's what Pliable did. And so he lived up to his name, which means easily influenced. When he thought following Christian and, and being a Christian was only going to make his life easier, Pliable was glad to go with him. But when things got hard, when he found out that the Christian journey is difficult and filled with dangers, he quickly gave it up. So no doubt John Bunyan had met a few pliables in his time as a Christian and as a pastor, people who are quite willing to come along for whatever it means to be a Christian for a time when things are easy, when things are pleasant, when things are good. But when a source of discouragement comes along, they give in to it and they abandon the journey. So there is a danger for us as well that we might be pliable. In every generation, there are countless men and women who make a profession of some sort. They walk an aisle. They pray a prayer. They get positive or powerful feelings while they are in church. But somewhere along the way, difficulty finds them. Expectations are not met. Enthusiasm does what? It fades. They get tired. And those people go back to the city of destruction like Bunyan's Pliable did. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that will not make it easy on you to follow Christ. Along the way, temptations are going to come leading you to want to give it up, start living like everybody else. And so there's pressure, is there not, from the world outside calling us to leave behind the good confession of Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's also plenty of trouble on the inside, is there not? Lots of dangers inside of here that are lurking inside of my heart, trying to cause a mess when we don't even have to make contact with the outside world. When you throw on top of that sickness, financial challenges, being treated unjustly, family problems, loneliness, the swamp of discouragement. It is very real. And there will be many who turn back at some point. That is the reason why this book that we call Hebrews was written. Discouragement had found its way into this particular church, into their community. Life had gotten hard. They're tempted to think that they might just want to turn back to the former life. It was easier back there. Trouble was not back there. I became a Christian and things got harder for me. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Somebody told me it was going to be different. 
following Christ had not fixed all of their problems. In fact, following Christ had only made the problem list get a bit longer. It seems that the authorities have already begun raiding some of these people's houses. He's called some off to prison. And whoever it is that wrote this letter wants the people that he loves in this church to persevere. He wants them to continue on. Keep going. Don't give up. And continue on the journey of following their Savior, no matter how hard it gets, it is worth it. The last verse of chapter 2, if you look there, verse 18, it reminds us that temptation is on this man's mind. He says that Jesus, because he has suffered, is able to help those who are being tempted. So he knows that they are being tempted. They're being pulled away from Christ in some direction or another. He says that Jesus is a high priest who is able to help them with their temptations. But it seems that the one, the temptation that is most worrisome to him, is the temptation to drift away from the faith. The big one. To not just feel discouraged, to not just feel down, but to walk away from Christ. That's what is on this man's mind. And so how do we know that that's the one that he's thinking of? Well, two things make it clear. The first is the word that comes at the beginning of the next sentence that starts chapter 3. And what we have to keep in mind when we're reading our Bibles is that the chapter divisions and the verse numbers, these are not inspired. These were added centuries later to help us find the places in Scripture to make references. But the first word that comes after this is therefore. Therefore. The author in this original letter in the next sentence gives us this word, a connecting word, an application word. It means, based on what you have just heard, this is what you should therefore do. So we're told Jesus is able to help you when you are being tempted. And the word therefore bridges us into the next thought. And verse 6, that concludes that next thought. It gives us some insight into the struggle that these people are experiencing, the thing that is worrying this writer. Look there in verse 6. He says, If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. That's what's on his mind. He wants to ensure that these people hold on to their confidence and their hope, and they are being tempted to be drawn away from those things. Discouragement is there. And they might just not continue on. Their confidence and their hope are being attacked. But what does that mean? Confidence in what? Hope in what? The word that is used for confidence, it means self-assurance that brings confident speech or bold speech. So there's some convictions down in there that lead me to speak boldly about what I believe. Convictions that you're not timid about. And so do you not speak boldly about the things that you believe in the most? The things that you believe in are true. You have no reservations generally about using words to express that. This is the kind of confidence you might have right now about the Bills going to the Super Bowl, right? 
and you don't mind saying it. You believe it. You hope it is true. And you're pretty convinced and you're going to speak boldly about it. But what happens when a person begins to have doubts about their convictions? They certainly start to lose their boldness, do they not? They don't speak as, they don't speak as eagerly about a subject when their convictions are starting to fail. Well, how does that apply here? How does that apply here to the confidence that this writer of Hebrews is telling us about? He is saying that to continue forward on the journey as Christians, a church, a group of people, a community of faith, they need strong convictions about who Jesus is and about what he has done, the relationship to him, so that they are able to speak boldly to call on him in a time of need. So when you have strong convictions about truly who Jesus is, what he came to the earth to do, that my relationship has been joined to him in a very solid way, you find out, as chapter 2 tells us, that he is a high priest. That's reiterated here in chapter 3. What do you do with a high priest? You come to him to go to God. You speak boldly as we are told there in verse 18. He is able to help those who are being tempted because he, he is our high priest. He bridges the gap between us and God. We call on him. So we should be a people who boldly, confidently speak to Christ at the throne of grace when we are under attack. So when this confidence is being um, assailed by the arrows of the evil one or about the temptations that are on the inside. Discouragement is coming. We're in the swamp. We don't want to lose our confidence to speak to our high priest and know that he is there and able to deliver us. He also mentions their hope. He even says that it's a hope that they can boast in or glory in there in verse 6. And what is hope? I think you would agree that we hope in what has not yet happened. We hope for what is still out there in the future. And so as a Christian, what are we hoping in? What are we looking forward to that gives us a boast or a glory? What are we looking forward to? And what he is telling us here is that the Christian's hope rests in what God has promised to us. In short, it is the stuff of heaven. It's the place where Christ is. It's the place where final glorification is. The place where we're told that all of our sorrows will be gone and all of our tears washed away. That there is a joy that is unending and a glory unspeakable. That's what we're looking forward to. And that's the hope that we boast in, peace and rest and joy with our Savior. And to make a direct connection with what we saw in chapter 2, if you remember that psalm, that quotation of the psalm of what we've been promised, it is the crowning with glory and honor. That's what you and I have been promised. We're looking forward to that. And that's what keeps us moving forward pressing on, believing in the truth of God's promises. Have you ever struggled at work or with your regular routine where every day is a grind? 
but out there somewhere in the future is a vacation, right? Out there somewhere is a vacation. And knowing that that vacation is out there in front of you keeps making it just a little bit easier to take that one step and put it in front of the other, just to keep going. Because it's, it's, it's the carrot that's dangling out there. Got to keep moving ahead. And for some of you guys, maybe it's retirement. It's the big vacation. Not the final vacation, but the big vacation. One year left, right? Knowing that it's out there in the future makes all the difference in the present. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to give up. And so for the Christian, we have something that is far greater than vacation or retirement that's out there in front of us. It is permanent glory with Jesus Christ. An eternal weight of it, as Paul says, dumped onto us that we did not earn for ourselves. Christ goes before us and wins glory for mankind, and all we do believe at first is simply trust in him by faith. And what he has won for us, that becomes ours, and we're welcomed into the family of God. We have access to the heavenly kingdom. We rule and reign with Christ. That's what we're told. All by grace, a gift from him. That is what has been promised to us. And when we believe that, we really hold on to that in our hearts. We trust in the word of God. We don't just make it up for ourselves. We're not trying to trick our minds into believing something so we continue on. These are the promises of God. And when we believe those things, we keep going forward because we have a very firm and blessed hope. That confidence and that hope has substance to it because of the person of Jesus Christ. All of those promises are wrapped up in him. Everything Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done for us, that is what gives us confidence and hope. And just to give you a little bit of a, you know, a preemptive here, that's why we're told to consider Jesus. That's why we're told to look at him. Because there's a couple of principles that guide this whole book that will uh, be good for us to keep in mind as we go through it. Sometimes as we're going from one passage to the next, we lose kind of the broad picture. We lose the forest for the trees. But it's always good to keep both in mind. There's a reason why this letter has been written. What is it that he wants to see happen in this church? Why did this man pick up the pen and begin to write? I've already mentioned that he sees that they are being tempted to drift away from Christ, and so his aim is that they would persevere in the faith. That's what he wants. When he picks up the pen, begins to write this letter, that's the intent. That's what he wants to have happen. He wants them to keep their eyes on Jesus so that they will make it all the way, all the way to the end. And in the pages of the New Testament, a genuine Christian is not simply a person who starts out on the journey well. Bunyan understood that when he wrote about Pliable. From all accounts, anybody in real life sees Pliable, sees that person starting out on the journey, grabbing hold of the promises of God, at least initially, they might think that Pliable was the real thing. Jesus certainly understood that principle when he wrote about the four soils 
where the seed of God's word lands. Maybe you remember that from the Gospel of Mark when we were going through there. Jesus teaches a parable about four different types of soil. The word of God is cast out there and it falls on four different types of people. He taught that one of these soils was rocky. It's rocky soil. And if you do any gardening, you know that it's difficult to get things to grow in rocks, right? Might be a little dirt sprinkled in there and something wants to spring up. But the rocks make it very difficult to continue on. Jesus said, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when persecution or tribulation arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. What comes along? What happens? There in that rocky soil, persecution or tribulation arises on account of the word. That is exactly what is taking place here with these people in this book called Hebrews. Persecution and tribulation arises on account of them being Christians or called Christians. They're being said, they're at least a Christian people, therefore they are uh, receiving persecution out in the world. They're opposed. Difficulty comes. The swamp of discouragement is there. And so there may be a person, or there is a kind of person, who might look like a Christian for a time. They spring up with joy when they hear the word. But the swamp of discouragement causes that person to fall away. They had the appearance of new life. Here they are, sitting amongst the congregation, hearing the word of God. They may even be reading their Bibles at home. They're coming to church and singing God's praises. Maybe some of them even get baptized. And then one day, that person is no longer anywhere to be found. They've fallen away. They were once in the kind of fellowship with the people of God, and then they're gone. And you hear that, and you might say to yourself, but pastor, do you believe that a Christian can lose their salvation? I don't mean that at all. However, the scriptures make it clear that those who truly belong to Christ will make it all the way to the end faithfully. They will find their safe harbor in the end. They will not drift out to sea and be lost. I've heard a lot of well-meaning people try to convince themselves that someone that they love is a Christian. Though that person has given no evidence of that for a long time. And what kind of evidence should there be? What are we being told here? The kind of evidence that remains in the child of God is a holding fast to the confidence that they have and the boasting in their hope. They do not give it up. They do not walk away. And so I ask, is that what your loved one is doing? And if the answer is no, 
then you are doing them no favors by calling him or calling her a Christian. In fact, you might very well be giving them a false assurance. And that is a dangerous thing. Maybe he walked an aisle when he was a kid and professed some kind of faith. Maybe answered all of the questions right that you or a pastor even asked. Maybe she had that time in church where she cried a lot and said she loved Jesus. But all of that is a distant memory. And so when you hold them up to what's in the Word of God here, what do you see? Do you see what is testified here in the Word? Is there confidence in the confession of Jesus Christ? I will not leave that behind. Is there a constant looking forward to a hope and glory with Christ? Is that out there in their minds? Is it shaping the way that they live their lives in any way at all? Well, the only time that they affirm such a thing is when you ask them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So no, I don't believe that a genuine Christian can lose their salvation, but I do believe that there are a good many who look like a Christian for a time, maybe even a long time, and then fall away. Demas, the man who ministered with Paul, written about in his letters, Demas is here with me. Eventually there in 2 Timothy, you find out the end of Demas. He did not remain with Paul. Gosh, think about the things that this man had seen. Miracles even. He had seen Paul ministering the word of God. He had watched lives be transformed. And yet, in the end, it says that he had left Paul for love of the world. Demas was pliable. Going back and living like the world, apart from Christ, that demonstrates that you do not belong to him, no matter what you once said about it. That is the fear that this person has who loves these people that he's writing to in this book called Hebrews. He wants them to prove that they are Christ. How? Prove that you belong to Jesus by continuing on in the faith, by not jumping ship and abandoning for a distant shore or for the home that you used to live in, like those people in the wilderness who clamored for Egypt. Oh, if we could just have the food of Egypt. What was that? That was a desiring for sin, the old life, the old man, the old ways. Oh, I would just go back to that, to abandon the hardship of the wilderness. And brothers and sisters, this journey of the Christian faith is the wilderness of sorts on the way to the promised land. That's what Bunyan's book writes like. And along the way, you meet lots of people in various situations that would lead you off of the path. Or maybe take a shortcut just to make it a little bit easier. 
And what you find out is you have to stay on the path behind Christ through it all, and he is faithful to lead you to the very end. So you demonstrate that you are his by your perseverance in making it to the finish line. So back to those guiding principles for this book, guiding principles for us this morning, that number one, you must persevere all the way to the end. Do not be like pliable. Return back for the old way of life when the swamp of discouragement lands right in your path. And then number two, the way that we persevere to the end is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I know that sounds so simplistic, but thank God that it is. That's what he does throughout this entire letter. He writes about Jesus and says, continue on. Then he writes about Jesus some more. He's constantly digging further into who Jesus is and what he has done. And then along the way, he says, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. That's what he says. It is simple. But in our experience, so often it's so hard, isn't it? We easily take our eyes off of Christ, much like Peter did when he was out there on the sea. Had his eyes on Christ, he's walking on water. Eyes off of Christ, he begins to sink. Thank God that the main things are the plain and simple things in Scripture. So he wants them to persevere, and he says that if you are going to do this, it is by your keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's why he says there in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, do what? Consider Jesus. You want to keep your confidence? You want to keep your hope? What do you look at? Not yourself. Not your circumstances. Right? you jump off if, all that's, if that's all you had. You look to Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. What exactly here, though, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, does he want us to take notice of Jesus about? What are we supposed to see about him that will lead us to hold on to that confidence and that hope? And simply put, it is that Jesus is faithful as the Son over the Father's house. That's what we're supposed to see about Jesus, that keeps our feet on the path. And then he says to us there in verse 6 that you are that house. So Jesus is faithful over you as the Son of God. We're shown a comparison here between Jesus and who? What Old Testament figure do these people hold in such great esteem, greater than any other? It's Moses. And he's telling us that Jesus is greater than Moses. Well, what was Moses? Well, he was faithful, working in God's house as a servant. Moses was faithful. And he gives us a reference here from Numbers chapter 12. So speaking of Moses, God says this about him. What a commendation he gives. He says, he is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he, he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses is faithful in the sight of God. 
And what the author of Hebrews is here saying is that if Moses was faithful as a servant in the house of God, will Jesus not be faithful over the house of God as a son? Jesus is not simply a servant in the house. He's the son whom the house belongs to. So if you could trust in Moses, how much more you can trust in Jesus? Moses is not being bad-mouthed here at all. In fact, none of, his, none of Moses' flaws are even mentioned here. And there were some to point out, would there not be? He's commended as faithful. But we're told that his role in the plan of God was simply to be a servant in the house. And what was Moses able to do? He says he spoke face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth with God. God spoke to this man like he had not with anybody else. And if you remember some of the story about what happened with the people of Israel, when they sinned, who pled for them? Who stood in the gap in between those sinful people and God? We know that Moses, I mean, Aaron, his brother, was appointed as the high priest, but it's Moses who stands between those people and God and says, Lord, please do not destroy them. He is the mediator, in a sense, between those sinful men and God. So if this servant in the house of God was able to speak to the Lord face to face and plead on their behalf, what do you think the greater one, Jesus, is able to do? If Moses, the servant in the house, speaks to God like that, and he listens to him, What does Moses prefigure? Somebody much greater than himself. And his name is Jesus, and he is the son over the house. That's what this author is pointing us to, that we're supposed to see about Jesus. He is faithful over the house of God. He has the ear of God for his people, so that when you are tempted to drift away, you will be held fast and firm. You have no reason to doubt that Jesus has the throne room of grace on your behalf, and you can call on him, and you will find strength to help in a time of need. Do you see that connection there? Consider Jesus greater than Moses. You have nothing to fear. So do not drift away. He will keep you on the path. When I was in the military, we were trained to use a compass. How many of you all have ever used a compass before? Several of you. You got one on your phone now, do you not? You just point that thing, yeah. We had to use those magnetic sorts, and they just hand you one, and they drop us out in the woods at a specific point, and they would tell us, get to this other point, maybe a mile away, simply by your compass and um, distances. So they give you some instructions. In between those two larger points, a number of directions and distances would be given, and you had to kind of make it all the way to the end. And so, for instance, one of those might be 320 degrees for 1,000 feet. And here you are, you're out here in the woods, You take that compass and you would point it to 320 degrees and you would start walking. 
But as you might guess, it's kind of hard to walk a straight line because there's going to be obstacles in between you and that thousand feet. There are, all, there are trees and rocks and all sorts of things that take you off course. And so what do you do to ensure that you get to the proper place? And so when you begin and you're pointing your compass, it's called an azimuth, you're pointing your azimuth, you find something that is right there on that point in the distance as far as you can walk, and you begin walking toward that. Even if obstacles make you go to the right or left, you keep that target tree in your sight that ensures that you get to your desired destination. This is what the writer of this book is telling us. The only way for us to get to our destination, the place that he mentions there in verse 1, our heavenly calling. You've been called to heaven. How will you get there? How will you make it all the way to the end? The glory, the honor that mankind has promised. He is telling us that the only way for us to get there is to keep our eyes on Jesus. From right here where you stand, you look to him. You consider him. That's what this whole letter does. It says keep going in the same direction and make sure you're going the right way by staying focused on the Lord. Because you and I know there are obstacles in our path. We are tempted to look elsewhere for directions at whatever we may think the good life is. How do we get there? How do we receive the good life? And lots of people will tell us there's a different kind of good life than what the Scriptures tell us. Well, they're not. We're tempted to look to the world the money, the pleasure, the power. We're tempted to find security and comfort in all sorts of other places. We're tempted to trust in our feelings, are we not? Our feelings. And we call that the Spirit's prompting. But the only sure way that we can make it all the way to the end and faithfulness is to look to the one who has been faithful to us. Let me say that again just in case you are distracted. The only sure way to, to make certain that we get all the way to the end in faithfulness is to look to the one who has been faithful to us. And he is the one who is already in the place where we have been called to go. He's there. And so we look to Christ. This week I was talking to a sister in Christ who was experiencing discouragement. Her path had hit the swamp. I knew that lately she had also been spending time discipling another woman in the church. And so I asked her, if this woman that you've been discipling and spending this time with came to you and told you what you just told me, what would you say to her? So she comes to you with the discouragements that you have. How would you respond to tell her to keep going forward? And I so appreciated the tone that she had and, and the sincerity in her response, she said, 
I would tell her to look to Jesus and trust that he is going to take care of you through all that you're going through. No worldly catchphrases, no self-confidence, no trust in your gut or your feelings. Nope. Just keep your eyes on your Savior. Because in a world of sinking sand, he is your rock. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word which prods us forward, keeps us from being distracted, keeps us from being bogged down by all sorts of discouragement, by keeping our eyes where they need to be, keeping our hearts where they need to be, firmly placed on our Savior, who he is as the God-man who has left the glories of heaven to come down here and experience the world as we have, a fallen world filled with difficulty and problems and obstacles. He came down here to live the life for us that we could not live for ourselves, to achieve glory and honor, a trail that we are to follow behind him because he has gone before us as our pioneer, and he now sits in heaven, the place where he is calling us to. We have a heavenly calling. May we stay faithful to him all the way to the end by keeping our eyes where they need to be, firmly fixed on Christ. So, Father, would you please give us strength as we look to Jesus as we are tempted to call on him, knowing that we are heard from heaven and are sustained by his powerful grace. We are not sustained by our own efforts, simply by pulling up our bootstraps. He leads us to do those things with the strength that he gives to us. He's our shepherd, and he will lead us home. And so may the people of Kaz Church today be committed, God, committed to keeping our eyes on him, considering him, thinking on him, with all the distractions that are around us that would lead us away from our Savior. So many fears and doubts out there, but there is none of that with our Christ. Keep our feet on the path. And though we may have to travel through the swamp of discouragement, we will not be like pliable and turn back. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.